Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, once upon a time, the United States was the undisputed global leader in technological innovation and advancement. Can Intel's massive investment in a new computer chip plant in central Ohio be the catalyst that America needs to catch up again? Also this morning in our Community and Business Spotlight, the fundraising campaign is over, the allocations have been awarded to partner agencies, but that doesn't mean the United Way is sitting around with nothing more to do. And we have details on programs you'll love in the month of February, see what we did there, at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. Director Sarah Clevidence will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. Kids have had a couple of uh, additional snow days uh, this week. Have you taken them sledding? Here is the question. Interesting, uh, interesting thing here. According to a new survey, should kids wear a helmet while sledding in the wintertime, like we make them wear helmets when they ride their bikes. Should they wear a helmet while sledding? Most parents, apparently, according to the survey, do not think so. Uh, researchers at Michigan Medicine found that nearly 70% of parents admit their kids never well wear a helmet while sledding, despite the potential for injury that comes with you know, sitting on a plastic a piece of plastic and propelling yourself down a snowy hill that could be yeah i think that might be a little there might be some danger there the uh, poll reveals that parents are far less likely in general to discuss sledding safety rules with their kids in comparison to other winter sports and activities uh university of michigan health cs mott children's hospital national poll on children's health also reports only three quarters of respondents consistently ensure their kids wear a helmet while skiing or snowboarding which that would seem to be a no-brainer pardon the pun um but even sledding researchers uh, surveyed a total of 1992 parents from all over the united states back in october and uh, all of the parents have at least one child between the ages of 3 and 18. Mott uh, Pole co-director Sarah Clark says activities like sledding and skiing offer families an exciting way to enjoy the winter months outdoors. But parents are responsible for taking proper steps to minimize injury risks for their children. So, helmets on before you go uh, sledding. I have to admit, I, I probably was guilty of that when my kids were... We're younger, and uh, so just a word of advice, word of caution to protect your kids. Probably the bigger the hill, the uh, more uh, important it is. Well, I you know, it's I say that, but that's probably not the case. It's kind of like bicycling. Um, you go on a short bike ride or a long bike ride, you still need to have a helmet because uh, injuries can happen. So never... Sledding, helmets on while you're sledding is the uh, basic piece of advice there from uh, health experts. Um, Speaking of uh, health, and uh, this was kind of interesting, among the first things you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. The United States had the most unprovoked shark attacks in the entire world last year. The Florida Museum of Natural History revealed that there were 73 unprovoked shark attacks and 39 provoked incidents worldwide last year resulting in nine deaths wait a minute 
39 provoked incidents. Who who goes into the ocean provokes a shark? Now, those people deserve to get bit. <laughs> I, I don't know who those people are, but I, they, they were, I'm going to just make this blanket statement. If you provoke a shark attack, you deserve what, what you get. <laughs> the U.S. does lead the world with 47 unprovoked shark attacks, which are defined as those in which a human is attacked in a shark's natural habitat. A provoked attack occurs when a person initiates an interaction with a shark in some way. Again, if you do this, you deserve what you get. I'm sorry, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy if you provoke a shark. (laughs) What did you expect to happen? Uh, Florida had the highest number of shark bites in the world with 28. Uh, They have been number one on that list for five consecutive years. We're number one. We're number one. Uh, 60% of the U.S. bite total is in Florida. 38% of unprovoked bites worldwide are in Florida. Uh, Australia came in second with 12 unprovoked bites. Brazil came in third with three. State by state, Florida was number one. Hawaii was second on the list of most shark bites. California, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Maryland. Uh, round out the uh, list of states with shark bites. More than you ever wanted to know about shark bites, but kind of interesting, uh, nonetheless. Um, this is kind of interesting. Have you heard this story? Uh, the SAT, the college entrance exam, taken by prospective college students, will go all digital beginning in 2024 and will be shorter. The College Board announced yesterday that it will, instead of a three-hour test, be a two-hour test. And instead of a paper test, it will go all digital. Basically, they're making it a Google survey. (laughs) It's four questions. It's a Google survey. It's really easy. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going that easy. Um, The transition comes after the College Board tested a digital SAT last year. And 80% of students said they found it less stressful And 100% of educators reported a positive experience. So they say, okay, if if students like it better, if educators really like it better, this is the way we're going. Um, It also comes about as the College Board has faced increased pressure to change its test in the wake of the pandemic. And um, there have also been questions about how relevant the test is to begin with. A lot of colleges are not necessarily requiring it anymore, partly because of the pandemic and partly because they just don't feel that it is uh, that relevant anymore. So College Board's trying to make it relevant again. Uh, other changes uh, to the uh, test, including allowing students to use a calculator for the entire math section, as well as shortening the length of the test for three hours, two hours, as we mentioned, uh, giving students more time per question. It will also feature shorter reading passages, With one question each, in the past few years, more than 1,800 colleges and universities have dropped requirements that applicants take either the SAT or the ACT. So, changes are coming. Interesting. And a couple of other uh, interesting sports-related stories uh, to uh, talk about this morning. The NFL, of course, this past weekend had one of its best playoff weekends ever. And the ratings are in, as you might expect. They're pretty good. You have good games, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs watching them. Nielsen said yesterday that the four games this past weekend, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, averaged 38.2 million TV and digital viewers. 
That is a 20% increase from the divisional round last year. The best ever for the divisional round of the playoffs. The best ever. Uh, In particular, that epic Sunday night finale between the Bills and the Chiefs, which the Chiefs won 42-36 to in overtime, had nearly 43 million viewers, which is the most for any event since last year's Super Bowl. So it's up there in pretty lofty company. And when the game went into overtime, after the lead changed hands three times, and 25 points were scored in the final two minutes of regulation, viewership in overtime swelled to 51.7 million people. So that... Those are some pretty incredible numbers for the uh, NFL. Uh, and by the way, speaking of the NFL, uh, Rob Gronkowski will not be playing. His Tampa Bay Buccaneers were eliminated this past weekend. So instead of playing in the big game in the Super Bowl this year, <laughs> he is inviting everyone to his house for a big Super Bowl party. <laughs> The Buccaneers, it says here, the Buccaneers tight end has teamed with Groupon and is handing the keys to his 4,500 square foot Foxborough home, Foxborough, Massachusetts, handing the keys to his home over to one lucky fan so they can watch the big game in style. And you can invite up to 15 friends. He tells ABC News, I got the whole setup down to perfection. It is more than just ensuring guests will have their fill of good food and drink. We've got a pool. We've got an indoor bounce house. We've got indoor mini golf. They have to be indoors because we're talking Massachusetts in February. All of these experiences are going to be amazing. Gronk says part of the experience is seeing what it's like to party like a football player. (laughs) He said uh, he is going over the top with his party like a player experience. He said he wanted the winner to not stress or feel pressure about who to invite. So you're going to be able to bring everyone that you know, (laughs) as long as it's 15 people, Um, a true party experience. Uh, So I guess, yeah, it says uh, you have until February 2nd to enter to win a party at Gronk's house on Groupon's party, like a player website. So if you do a Google search for that, I'm sure you can come up with, by the way, uh, asked what his prediction was for the uh, Super Bowl. He said he's going to go with uh, Kansas City. And uh, it's going to be, he predicts Kansas City over San Francisco in the Super Bowl. So just in case you were curious what Gronk thinks. Partying at Gronk's house. Party at Gronk's house, Super Bowl Sunday. That sounds like fun. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. <laughs> WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected today, but the high is only going to be around 13, and wind chill values as low as 10 below. Low 5 tonight, but it feels like temp of 8 below. Authorities say tips from the public help them locate the person responsible for a hit and run that injured two kids in Wood County. The Bowling Green Post of the Highway Patrol worked in partnership with the Lake Township Police Department to solve the crash. Following the incident, numerous tips came in to both agencies regarding sightings of the possible hit-skip vehicle believed to be involved. The Highway Patrol says tips led investigators to where that vehicle was located, and they were able to identify the driver, who was recently indicted on four felony charges. Get more on our website.
The Humane Society and SPCA of Hancock County is reminding people to keep an eye on their pets during this cold weather as wind chills will be dangerously low the next few days. Hancock County Dog Warden Dana Berger says outside pets need to have food, water, and shelter that they can access. And even dogs that are outside, you know, uh, it might even be a wise idea to bring them in when it gets really cold. And I know a lot of people do. They don't, they don't leave them out there when it gets bitter cold. And he says if you have any horses, they should be given blankets and have a spot out of the wind. Get more cold weather pet safety tips on our website. There's been a shift in the counties where the coronavirus is most active in Ohio. In recent weeks, the list was made up of counties in northeast Ohio, and before that it was dominated by counties in the northwestern part of the state. The map has shifted dramatically. The current top five for COVID case rates are Pike, Marion, Athens, Scioto, and Muskingum. They all have case rates now more than three times as high as Cuyahoga County, which includes Cleveland. In fact, Cuyahoga is now 86th highest of Ohio's 88 counties. Dave James, in News. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office has been recognized for excellence in policy and training. The Sheriff's Office works with Lexapol, the nation's leading provider of policy, training, and wellness support for first responders and public servants. Recently, the Sheriff's Office was recognized by the Lexapol Connect program for achieving gold-level status for policy and training. Get more on the recognition on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, you know, once upon a time, the United States was the undisputed global leader in technological innovation and advancement. Today, we play a less dominant role in science and technology, something that leaders in business, politics, and education are starting to recognize and at last working to rectify. Are we making progress? And is it too late to catch up? Joining us this morning on behalf of the National Science Board is Julia Phillips, Executive Emeritus at the Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Julia, the uh, National Science Board's just released 2022 State of U.S. Science and Engineering Report looks at uh, science and engineering activity Everything from research and development to uh, industry output to STEM education. The point being, this is a multifaceted issue. Yes, it is. It covers so many different areas, uh, all the way from education, beginning at kindergarten, going all the way through doctorate degrees and even beyond, to the jobs that those um, you know, children today will take tomorrow in STEM, and on to the products that they will make that will ensure um, our prosperity, our economic competitiveness, as well as our national security. Now, I can hear some people say, are we not still a global leader? I mean, Apple is based in this country. Google is based here. Microsoft is based here. I mean, those are the ones that, you know, everybody initially thinks of when we think science and technology. Uh, well, yes, the U.S. is absolutely a leader. The thing that has changed over the last 10 or 20 years is that other nations have seen the benefits that have come to the United States from our investment in research and development from the companies and the standard of living that has been enabled by that research and development. And they have copied us. They have emulated what we have done and arguably in some ways 
some of those countries today are doing a better job than we are, mm-hmm. but we are still in a very strong position. And and how does it how does it change? I and mean, we keep keep hearing the fact that uh, especially uh, science and technology, uh, it, we live in such a global economy now, especially in this category. How does that change the paradigm? Well, the the paradigm changes because as long as you have a strong research and development base, and the U.S. is still the leader in basic research, research that does not have a known benefit today in terms of economic or or security uh, benefits, but it um, it gives rise to things we can't imagine yet, and so the um, the um, Paradigm changes because when we lead in some of those areas, it means we have sort of first chance to on the discoveries. And we need, then we also need um, an educated workforce and the infrastructure to take advantage of those discoveries and turn them into benefit for our citizens as well as for the rest of the world. But um, we need to be part of that game in order to have a leading position. Okay, so uh, we lay all the groundwork there to talk a little bit about the report and and kind of establish why this is important. So first off, kind of give us an overview of how we are doing nationally in, as we said, kind of attempting to recapture our global leadership position in this category. Well, there are lots of, there are, as you say, so many different facets. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to start with um, education and starting with kindergarten through 12th grade. And there, I think we are doing a very um, lackluster job. If you look at the performance of U.S. children um, at various points through their uh, K through 12 experience, uh, they are performing much worse on testing than most of the than children in most of the um, OECD or the uh, developed countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of those countries, that performance has improved over the last fifteen years. In the United States, it's almost stagnant. We are doing almost nothing, at least if, if, from the appearance of test scores. And those are the children that we need to take the STEM jobs eventually, right. not all of which require a, a college degree. And then you break those numbers down on a state-by-state basis from the bullet points that I'm looking at, and I haven't dug into the weeds and, and really looked at the entirety of the report, but from the bullet points that I see, it appears that Ohio is lagging behind the national average in many areas, but trending in a positive direction. Well, like every state has um, various strengths it can build from, and Ohio is no exception to that. Um, you know, something like um, you know, 25% of the jobs in Ohio are in science and engineering, and those are great jobs. They pay better than jobs that are not in science and engineering mm-hmm. at the same level of education. So that's great. And um, that's both for bachelor's degrees and not bachelor's degrees. Um, Ohio has a um, pretty decent sort of the seed corn for growing your industries and your jobs and your, your competitiveness. Um, 
actually it's about 2% of the total. And so one of 50 states, I suppose that you might say that's appropriate, although Ohio in general is a larger state than many. So, mm-hmm. so that might be a little bit low. And there is um, certainly a good level of venture capital investment, which is one of the um, engines of the innovation that uh, gives rise to those jobs and to the goods and services. One of the reasons that this becomes relevant, of course, is the announcement last week that Intel will be building the world's largest microchip plant right here in the Buckeye State, the largest single economic development investment in our state's history. Obviously, big news uh, for Ohio last week. How does that move the needle both for our state and for the country as a whole? Oh, that is just huge. Uh, It was such welcome news, you know, obviously for Ohio, but for the entire country, because semiconductors are at the heart of so much of the technology we take for granted today and for so many of the technologies of tomorrow. Um, And uh, so the fact that there is going to be investment in building that capability in the U.S. is really important. I'd like to point out that if you look at these knowledge and technology intensive industries around the world, in manufacturing, we have lost significant ground. Uh, China is the leader, hands down, and this is an investment in that. The U.S. still leads in information technologies, mm-hmm. um, which are more service-oriented, but in manufacturing, this, this is huge. Well, and so I guess kind of circling back to that question we referred to at the outset, because that's really the bottom line for a lot of people on this, is it too late to catch up to make up for the ground that we've lost? Can the United States once again earn that title of undisputed global leader in technological innovation and advancement? Well, that's where you get to the um, fact that today it really is a, you know, a global community. And so the U.S. absolutely can remain a leader and it can lead in some areas. Um, but since it is a global playing field, we probably will never have quite the dominant position we had where we were essentially, you know, the, the only, the only game in town or right. certainly by far the biggest game in town. But what we can do is we can be what we we are calling a keystone. We can be a connector across the globe and connecting all the various um, countries and researchers that are doing the work that enables these technologies, that enables the prosperity. And as we do that, we have a leading position and a unique position. I think I already know the answer to this question because you referenced it a little bit earlier uh, of all of the areas that we're talking about here. And again, we're talking about R&D, talking about uh, industry output, uh, education, the most urgent challenge that must be met in order to do that, uh, to uh, maintain and improve our standing within uh, the global community with respect to uh, technology. Uh, Education at the top of the list, is that number one? For me, it certainly is, and I think for much of many members of the science board, it is as well. There are there are two pieces. The education is what we need to do in order to have a domestic workforce, an American-born, um, an American resident workforce that is able to take the jobs 
in the new Intel factory and in all of the other companies that get started. Mm -hmm. We also need to attract foreign talent. At this point, we are actually in many fields at advanced degree levels. We have more foreign-born practitioners in computer science and mathematics and and some of those um, disciplines than we do American-born workers. And um, there is no guarantee those foreign-born workers will continue coming to this country. So between the fact that um, that that source is not clear and um, these are great jobs, we've got to take advantage of our own really rich domestic talent and um, make um, make them appropriate for these jobs that companies like Intel's Intel are going to be creating. Again, uh, Julia Phillips is Executive Emeritus of the Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on behalf of the National Science Board. Their just-released 2022 State of U.S. Science and Engineering Report is out, and it is available on the NSF website, correct? That is correct, yes. We will link that up on our webpage. A lot of interesting reading there. Julia, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Joining us in the studio once again is Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. And campaign is wrapped up. You're in the process of granting out that money, right? We are. We are. So it's all about resources now. So um, our, cam- our campaign is wrapped up. So we raised about $1.7 million mm-hmm. uh, that will go into the community in different ways. So we have grant awards that go to different programs in the community that are are doing really great work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about keeping people stably housed. It's about maintaining safety for children and adults. It's about, uh, you know, just feeding the hungry. All through all of those partner agencies, partner programs, and uh, then the ongoing initiatives that uh, that you have going on and, and things like that. Yes. Uh, so when when do those funds actually get into the hands of the agencies who put them to use? It started January 1st. Okay. So, so we had conversations with them earlier in the year, right. um, just kind of showing how campaign was wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, made a commitment to them. And so now we're tallying all the campaign, we're wrapping that up, Getting and that. we're giving them their final numbers. So the reason I bring all of that up is that, you know, with the campaign over and starting to uh, dole out those funds to put them to use, people may think, well, it's this is easy time, not, not much going on for the United Way, but uh, that's anything but. Anything but, you're right. So we have a lot of things that we're not ramp, not just ramping up for 2022. Um, our volunteer center is always going, so that's a resource that anyone can find a place to plug into the community, not just a, here, here's something to do, go do it, but a, how do we find a fit that's right for you? So that's one of those resources that we bring, not just to our partner agencies, but to nonprofits and different um, organizations around town. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned things like uh, bringing grant monies in and other resources that you are uh, constantly working to make available within the community. Yes, one of our guiding principles is that we want to stretch local dollars as far as possible. It's a commitment that we have to both our donor individually as well as corporations. So in order to do that, how can we capitalize on um, state or federal grants, other foundations, other individuals from outside of Hancock County to be able to enhance our work? So how is what you do in that respect different from other grant uh, organizations, say the Community Foundation, for example. Absolutely. And so they have, a, a, I'm, I'll let Brian come in and talk about uh, the Community <laughs> Foundation. In, right. Um, but we work collaboratively with them. 
So we know that as a community, if we are standing together, we are stronger. So it's um, working with each of our partner agencies. It's working with the Community Foundation. We know that Adamus is doing a great job in the mental health arena. So how can we, as a community, look wholly at the priorities that we have and address those in the highest functioning manner? So the bottom line is, even though the campaign has wrapped and again, the grant making or the the allocation process uh, is largely complete, there's still a lot going on at the United Way. There is, and there's a lot of ways to get involved in the community to, to uh, assist us with it, to find your heart's passion. Um, so we invite people to do that. And how would someone get involved? Because as you said, there's always an opportunity to do that. Yep. You can go to our website, which is uwhancock.org, or just call into their to our office. We're happy to talk anytime. Again, Angela Dabosky, the United Way of Hancock County with us this morning. Angela, thanks very much for the update. We Thank appreciate you. it. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We have an early candidate for Mother of the Year, not... A Connecticut woman, 36-year-old Carrie Caviasa, I think is how you pronounce her name, was arraigned yesterday for leaving her kids home alone. Now, at first glance, I mean, that's a that's a bad thing to do, especially their young kids, to, to leave kids home alone. But normally, that would get you, you know, a visit from Children's Services, but not necessarily arrested. In this case, however... <laughs> She locked her kids in the basement and jetted off to Florida to vacation with her boyfriend. <laughs> she, she reportedly told the kids not to go upstairs because she didn't want anyone to see them. Police say Ms. Caviasa left her kids both under the age of 12 unsupervised for two full days so that she could enjoy her weekend trip to the Sunshine State. When her kids reached out because they were hungry... Uh, Police say she told them, just eat candy. Okay. Ms. Caviasa claimed that her brother was supposed to be watching the kids, but he denied any involvement (laughs) that I had no idea that any of this was going on. She has been arrested and charged with reckless endangerment. Uh, She was uh, arraigned yesterday. Uh, The kicker on this story, as if all of that wasn't enough, this uh, this woman, uh, Carrie Caviasa, was, emphasis on the past tense, was a middle school teacher. <laughs> Not anymore. That's, uh, let's see here. Not much of a parent either, as it turns out. Uh, speaking of uh, odd parenting type stories, this is all kinds of weird. Police in Des Moines, Iowa, are searching for a man, they say, entered the neonative intensive care unit at Mercy One Hospital in Des Moines and bottle-fed a baby baby before leaving. They just went into the NICU, bottle-fed a baby, and then left. Police say the man was trespassing. The baby was not his. It was not his baby. It didn't steal the baby. didn't do anything else to the baby or anything like that. He just fed the baby and then left. He was caught on security camera 
Uh, entering and leaving the hospital, Mercy One has released a statement saying that they take the safety and security of patients very seriously and are cooperating with police in the matter. <laughs> Just all kinds of weird. Just odd. <clears throat> I don't know what the guy was after, but he had, a, I guess, a burning desire to feed a child. So there you go. Uh, what else is going on in the uh, broken news? Uh, this is uh, kind of ironic. An off-Broadway play had to cancel some performances, not because of COVID or anything, but rather because someone stole the copper pipes from the basement of the theater of the, the play was performing. And the general manager for the theater center in New York City said she discovered the pipes were missing on Friday when the water and heat in the building failed to work. She then found a door in the basement had been jimmied open and there were bullet casings on the floor. She said security cameras caught another attempted break-in on Sunday. The theater had to cancel about 12 performances. Um, so far, there have been no arrests connected to the theft. Damages estimated at $20,000. What's really crazy about this, the name of the play that had to be canceled because someone stole the copper pipes from the theater. The title of the play, The Perfect Crime. Well, you could have seen that coming, couldn't you? That's <clears throat> uh, this is kind of interesting from the uh, international file of the uh, broken news. Eight silver and gold tubes from a Russian museum, which had long been thought to have been uh, ceremonial staffs uh, for uh, Russian royalty back centuries ago. And... Uh, they researchers have have recently come up with a, a new theory. They say no, they're not ceremonial staffs belonging to you know these you know, royalty. In reality, they are the oldest surviving drinking straws. <laughs> uh, researchers say people use these high end drinking straws to drink beer from a communal vessel more than five thousand years ago. Uh, the Russian Academy of Sciences in Saint Peter, Petersburg. Says ex- excavations in 1897 in what's now Armenia uncovered the metal tubes, jewelry, and other goods in a burial mound containing three individuals from the Makop culture, which dates to around 5,700 and 4,900 years ago. Each slender tube is just over one meter long. <laughs> there were ceremonial staffs for royalty. No, they're just drinking straws. <laughs> Uh, oops. <clears throat> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, and I'm not sure that I buy this story, but Rachel Lawrence uh, lives in the UK. This story out of the United Kingdom said her family was devastated when their cat Barnaby vanished eight months ago. But she was in for a big surprise when she called her local veterinarian to check on her other pet cat and heard the sound of meowing in the background. She asked the staff uh, about that sound, and they told her it was a stray that had brought, been brought in the week before and was just hanging around the office. Ms. Lawrence says the sound of the meows haunted her for hours, and so she called back to ask them to describe the stray cat. And uh, it turns out the description matched her lost cat. So she went to see the animal and... And she says she knew it was Barnaby as soon as he was brought into the room. She says the cat lost some weight during its eight months disappearance, but uh, otherwise appeared to be in pretty good shape and they are excited to bring him back home. 
She said she recognized her lost cat from its meowing. From its meowing. I'm not sure I buy it, but apparently it's true. There you go. Uh, that crazy story. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is a really interesting survey. Uh, If money worries keep you up at night, you are apparently not alone. Uh, This new survey of 2,000 Americans on behalf of National Debt Relief finds that the average American loses 200 hours of sleep a year thinking about their debt and has one financial-related nightmare a week. Ever had a financial-related nightmare? Wow, one a week. Uh, More of the data from this poll. 32% of those surveyed admit that their debt issues make them moody. 69% admit their debt made them give up doing the things that they love because they're just too expensive to do anymore. You had to give up a hobby. 45% list credit card debt as the worst kind of debt. Medical debt uh, was in second place at 34%. And mortgage debt was cited by 32% as the worst kind uh, among those polled. Kind of interesting. In a separate survey for creditcards.com, this poll, and I thought this was really interesting, finds that for about one-third of Americans, one-third of Americans who have a spouse or a significant other admit to financial infidelity. That is to say that they have hidden some sort of financial information from their spouse or significant other. Financial infidelity. As to what that entails, 25% in the survey, one in four, said that they have either a credit card, a checking account, or a savings account that their partner does not know about. 15% say that they spend more than their partners would approve of. And 9% say that they have secret debt. Mm-hmm. Going a little bit further in the numbers of this survey, again, for creditcards.com, 42% say that physical cheating and financial cheating are equally bad. It's just as bad to commit financial infidelity as it is to have an affair with someone. 11% actually say that financial cheating is actually worse. Sarah Clevidence is with us in the studio this morning in the Findlay Hancock County Public Library with details on programs you'll love in the month of February. You see what we did there? I love That's that. There you go. There you go. Uh, I guess as we were saying yesterday, it's hard to believe that we're almost to February already. 
Um, first of all, uh, I guess what story times are uh, back in the library. Story times so. will be back in the library starting cool. uh, the week of February seventh. Okay. So we do ask for registration for story okay. times, but they'll be on Tuesday and Thursday mornings at nine thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also will still offer a Zoom story time on Tuesdays at ten thirty. And we'll have a family pajama party story time on uh, Monday, February 7th at that 6 p.m. That sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. Uh, what are some of the other things that are going on in the uh, month of February, first off? Well, for adults, we've got uh, a Be Better with Breakfast. February is National Hot Breakfast Month, and I'm sure... As an early riser, you probably know the importance of a good breakfast <laughs> to start your day, Don't right? often get one at the ridiculous hour that I get up in the morning, but I understand the importance. Certainly. Well, maybe this could be a brunch for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be. Uh, exactly. And we're excited to host uh, Blanchard Valley Center's Traveling Trivia on February 15th. Okay. Uh, 6.30 to 7.30. So you can compete as an individual or as part of a team for that event. That'll be a fun event. Some of the other stuff? Uh, we're working with the University of Finley for a celebration of the diversity of languages in our community. Um, there's a Mother Language Day in February, so we'll be celebrating that on February 16th, uh, 6 to 7, again, with the University of Finley. We're excited to partner with them for that That should program. be interesting. Uh, always, uh, always interested to... You know, different cultures, different languages, all of that. So that should be a lot of Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. I yeah. imagine there's a lot more in our community than we would ever imagine. That's true. That is uh, often the often the case. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight in the uh, month of February? Well, aspiring writers might want to mark their calendars for February 24th. There's a Marketing Your Writing Workshop. Uh, one of the authors who joined us for our Author Fest in the fall will be leading that, uh, talking about low-cost and no-cost ways that you can promote your writing and, and help find your audience. It seems like everybody is writing these days. Well, it's, it's never been easier to uh, get your works published. There are so many opportunities out there for writers, and you know, right now it's kind of cold outside, so <laughs> why not stay inside and either there you go. read or, or yeah, write your you next know, book? That's a, that's a good book. We also often talk about how it is uh, such a great time of the year to just curl up by the fire with a good book, and uh, why not take that to the next level? You can curl up by the fire and write a good book. Absolutely. A good book. So, uh, you also have a, a new program. I want to talk about this. Uh, it is a, a digital literacy uh, course. Yeah, it's uh, North Star Digital Literacy. It's okay. a, a new p- uh, database available through Ohio Public Libraries around the state. Uh, this lets adults uh, boost their basic literacy skills for, for digital components like uh, email, social media, online job searching. So you can take these uh, self-paced courses uh, but you can also do assessments, either just on your own or proctored. And if you do them proctored at the library, then you get a certificate. Hmm. And it shows what you learned. So, so uh, these are, again, digital literacy skills. So much is uh, is going digital these days. You mentioned job searching is a, uh, a perfect example of, you know, for, for social media, you know, that's a great way to keep uh, in touch with uh, family and friends mm-hmm. and, and so on. But it's not necessarily a, a deal breaker if you don't know it. Right. Job searching, however, that is a big deal. Job searching is critical. Email, think how much we do on email. Sure. And, you know, I personally think I'm pretty good at using email. Uh, but I did the assessment yesterday and I missed a, a couple questions. So I'll, I'll go through the, the course and see what new skills I can learn. There's a, a lot uh, to learn and it's constantly changing too because uh, you know the minute you think you've got all of this figured out, they throw something new at you. Absolutely. So. There's always something new. So this uh, database is accessible through the website? Yes. If you go okay. to finleylibrary.org and then the adults tab, 
just scroll down to uh, North Star Digital Literacy. Okay. And, and can you kind of pick and choose from what you're interested in? Absolutely. You can pick and choose and do any of the assessments you like. If you'd like to do a proctored uh, test to, again, get that certificate, just stop in the, the reference desk. You can make an appointment, but you don't have to. Walk-ins are welcome. Okay. Uh, that's just one of many resources that are available online. Absolutely. We have a host of databases for just about anything you'd want to learn or know more about. We can get you pointed in the right direction. You're talking about through the uh, pandemic, people learning new skills, taking on new hobbies, and uh, this is a great way to learn about something that you may be interested in. Absolutely. Our, our language database was very popular uh, over the pandemic with folks uh, wanting to take that opportunity to learn something new. I'm sure. And uh, a lot of these things are are freely available. You have to have a library card or you know, quote-unquote membership, that kind of thing. Yeah, for some of them, you do need to have a library card. Okay. Um, just to show that you are, you know, part of our our patron community, but mm-hmm. you can get a library card online for right. for free. Sure, yeah, uh, just one additional step, but one uh, additional step, but then it'll let you access a, a whole world of information. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to uh, talk briefly about, uh, because it was in the news uh, here not re- not all that long ago, uh, Hancock Literacy has uh, been folded into the library umbrella in terms of you know the the services previously provided by Hancock Literacy are being picked up at the library. Yes. And the big one amongst those is, of course, the Dolly Parton's Imagination Library Program. So we're so excited to to host that at the library. And we're very grateful to the Hancock Literacy team that did such a great job of bringing that to our community, mm-hmm. to growing the program where it was, uh, and being able to pass this off to, to the library. And for that program... It will continue, for those who were signed up for the program, it will continue without any, I mean, seamlessly. Seamlessly. No. I would uh, say that your January books that that you received and probably your February ones will still say they're coming from Hancock Literacy. We're still in that paper transition time, but mm-hmm. soon you'll see that the return address on those is the Friends of the Finley Hancock County Public Library. And if folks want to continue to support that uh, program financially, uh, how do they do that moving forward? Well, our goal for the next couple of years, uh, Hancock Literacy passed off some funds to help support the program the, the last about four years. Okay. And we're using that opportunity to build two funds at the Community Foundation that will support that program. Our goal is to raise those funds to the level where it can support the program in perpetuity with their annual disbursements. So there is a fund called the Hancock Literacy Fund at the Community Foundation, and we'd encourage individuals who want to support the Imagination Library to make a donation because, there. Because uh, we have uh, talked about the uh, Dolly Parton Imagination library uh, in the past uh, from the standpoint of uh, when I became a grandparent this uh, you know kind of struck me that it the cost of of providing this to a child for the first five years of life is something like hundred and twenty dollars 125 and right now the state is picking up half of that tab Wow so if you want to give a gift to a child or a grandchild, mm-hmm. That donation, you can make a $125 donation, and that's a five-year gift for a child. Absolutely. Sponsor your grandchild for the the first five years of their life, a book mailed in their name every month. And because, as you said, you're, you're putting this fund together through the Community Foundation, ultimately it will help bring this uh, to kids, as you said, in perpetuity. Generations of our community yeah. will have a, a solid start because they have access to books at home before they even get to school. So uh, just get a hold of the uh, Community Foundation and make Absolutely. a donation. Absolutely. It's the uh, Hancock Literacy Fund at the Community Foundation.
information. Terrific. So uh, we mentioned some of the uh, programs that are available uh, at the library, things, uh, resources that are available uh, at the uh, library website. Where do folks find you online? FinleyLibrary.org. Very good. And again, uh, Sarah Clevidence of the Finley Hancock County Public Library talking about things coming up in the month of February and beyond. Sarah, thanks very much. Thank you. And that'll wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for being with us this morning. And remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Again, goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow, tech geeks have promised the paper-free office for decades. Is it finally possible? Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.